This is Kevin. And this is Ron. And this episode of Your Valuable Home is brought to you by Provia. Provia, a faith-based company that makes entry doors, storm doors, patio doors, vinyl and wood-clad vinyl windows, vinyl siding, manufactured stone, and metal roofing, all of incomparable quality. Welcome to Your Valuable Home, the weekly podcast for listeners who believe that residential real estate is the way to build wealth. Hi, I'm Kevin Kennedy, a working contractor and host of Your Valuable Home. Your Valuable Home is for homeowners and investors alike who want to acquire and improve real estate based upon educated decisions. And I'm Ron Milk, Your Valuable Home producer and co-host. Our weekly one-hour podcast is not about doing it yourself. It's about hiring the right contractor to do the right job at the right price. And it's not about flipping. It's about buying and holding to build wealth. Homeowners and investors who strive to create wealth and financial freedom with real estate and avoid costly home improvement mistakes. Your valuable home is for you. The Project Replay made redoing our kitchen and bath trouble-free. Your horror stories have kept us from hiring the wrong contractors. The college segments have taught us how to keep toxins out of our home, what to look for in replacement windows, how to borrow sensibly against home equity, and more. College teaches investors like me how to freshen up my rentals without spending a fortune. Their suggestions are great for ROI. It's time for Your Valuable Home. Okay, Kev, we're starting another round of Your Valuable Home, and we got somebody with a pretty big rental job, right? Yeah, we do. Yeah, yeah The replay is going to start out with a new listener. Uh, we just have somebody new now that's going to be listening to the show. That's Marna, right? Yes, Marna. Marna's on Marna, the air. Marna, thank you for becoming a listener. That's wonderful. Oh, well, thank you for having me on your show today. I said I'm going to make you famous, so you are now famous. So you've got a lot of people that are going to be listening to you. Give our listeners some ideas that you're thinking of. So they can, if they're going to be planning something similar, yeah. we can walk you through it so they can get an understanding of the best suit and get the best value of what project you want to start and how to start it. What were some of the things you're thinking of doing in your house? Well, we moved in our house 18 years ago in 2005, and the house was built in 1986. So we had done our kitchen originally and now it's just needing an update the whole first floor kind of needs a whole update so we're looking into doing a whole kitchen den renovation dining room bathroom and everything on the first floor so that is a major project we'd like to accomplish along with a bunch of other stuff that our house that has aged and needs to be updated well, that's pretty much it. I mean, the first floor project's huge. Now, where did you get the, the idea of doing a larger kitchen from? Well, originally I thought of it because we wanted to put a vent in our kitchen for cooking situation here, but we were not able to put a vent in originally. So I've been wanting to do that for years. And then I bumped into a client of yours, Kevin, Debbie, who did her house and she's the same layout as mine. And when I went to her house, I couldn't believe what I saw with my own eyes it is magnificent. Just going off of what she did and seeing her project, it just was phenomenal. So here I am. <laughs> there we go. So do you have to get into load bearing? No, no, no. The no. bearing's right down the middle. How about that? Yeah. So that it's a minimal cost. Mar and I were talking yesterday about some of the things that people do. So what contractors like to do is scare you because I know she wants to do the job, but what they'll say is, oh, th look, this is a lot of work. And well, it's not a lot. start that, you know, it's going to be a lot more it's money. It's got a lot more money. Right. Exactly. Right. And that, that's what I want to tell people. I want to be honest and upfront and transparent and say, no, this isn't a lot of money. Yeah. What we're going to do is this time frame. This is what we're going to do. This is the price. We're going to break it down for you. Because if you're upfront and being honest with people, it, it's very easy to get further jobs. You get more jobs. People are going to refer you. And that's what we had talked about. We had a great conversation about how they chose a contractor and how they're getting estimates from contractors. And is it reviews? Is that how you're picking contractors? 
No, word of mouth. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I learned the hard way. Yeah, absolutely. Better way to do it. Well, you know what you said earlier about talking about when you had the kitchen done and you couldn't get an exhaust fan to go to the outside. And I'm, I'm, I was just looking at it, saying, "No, this is easy. No, that this is easy. They lie to you. They just didn't want to do it. They didn't want to do it, right? And that's what I. Why wouldn't they want to do it? Why wouldn't they want to do it? More work." More work? Yeah, I mean, it's about so an hour's what? worth That's of work. That's what you do. That's what you do, right? <laughs> You're there to service the contractor yeah. or the homeowner. So why not do it? Right. Sometimes people don't want to do it because subs aren't getting paid to do that. It literally took me, and I did probably 30 of those kitchens in the neighborhood. I did about five or six of them where we ripped everything out and put a whole new kitchen in. It's not that hard to do. Just do the job. I always say it, and every time I ask the homeowners, I keep saying, whose house is this? Is it mine or yours? So the homeowner's like, well, it's my house. I'm like, well, let's do what you want. Yeah. It's your home. <laughs> Makes sense to me. I mean, it's sometimes you, you can run into a problem where it will take more time or some options you're going to have to do to think about it. But the way it's set up, it, <laughs> just pop it out the wall. It's not that hard. It's a six-inch ductwork to, to put it in. If you have a, a fan that's over 600 CFM, you want it to go up to an eight-inch ductwork and pop it in and put your – you will need an air makeup system. Anything over 400 CFM, it's definitely – Definitely in the state of Pennsylvania, but depending on your local code, if you're going to need it, you just, you just do it and say, hey, here's the price. Here's what it is and do it because you said you do a lot of cooking. Yes. And I've had a couple guys out here to tell me that they, they couldn't do it or it was so expensive or wouldn't call me back or said it was just too much work. And it was so upsetting. And I just gave up hope years ago thinking I'd never have this happen in my house. And lo and behold, here we are. So... I'm hopeful that we, you know, we can fix that issue immediately. And how old is your house? When uh, were you the first owner? No, I'm actually the third owner. Um, the house was built in 1986. 86. Okay. Yeah. We bought it in 2005. Just to let you know, Debbie's event that we put in, it probably took us about 40 minutes. Oh, so no. it was very difficult. Dave right. did it. Oh, but Dave did it himself in 40 minutes. Okay. Completely installed and inspected. Cause we do everything with permits. <laughs> Everything just went fine. So that's what it should have been done when the the original kitchen, when you got it redone in the 90s, it should have been done. Should have been done at the time, yeah. It's not hard to do. No, and I'm sad that I didn't didn't push for it back then, but being young and a new homeowner, you get kind of, you know, I guess I worry that people were going to not be nice to me if I, you know, pushed back or whatever. So, you know, I was at the hands of the contractors at the time. And you really shouldn't have to push back. No. If somebody was going to tell you something, explain why and i listen i i've catch contractors I, I i stop at people's homes locally they call me and they're listening to the show and i go there and it's amazing how many contractors lie i've been over at least a dozen of them over the past month where i go in just say hey i'm a friend of somebody we're just there chatting and they they, they just lie mm-hmm. and the homeowners even catch them in a lie and i'm like well you know if you we call the township building and uh, you said it was this time and it's not that time well yeah well now they're trying to change the story and it's just be upfront. Tell the people in front. And here's the thing. I, I'd rather be up front with people and tell them that this could be a possibility. It not, might not work. But you didn't give me any indications. You were trying to do something that's not, wow, this is really going to be difficult. No, it's all easy. Even when you said with the piping and this, I'm like, well, because I know your homes. I've been in, working in this industry for so long that I knew exactly where your chases were. So we can just run everything up the chase, fire stop it, and we're done. Get it inspected, and we're done. And it's not that expensive to do. So all those items you were talking about were not too outlandish because – it's not doing the work. It's doing it to code to make sure everything's going to work. And you don't want those uh-ohs as we're doing a job. 
I didn't have any of those because everything you wanted to do and talked about was easy to do because I explained to you how it works because I've done so many homes. Yeah, I right. mean, if, if somebody came into my house and they started talking about, oh boy, oh, this is a lot of work, right? I'm saying to myself, here comes the hard slider, right? right? <laughs> here he comes. $400,000. Oh my goodness gracious, <laughs> it's going to be expensive, yeah. And, um, and it really isn't. And I, when Martin and I were talking, I said, well, listen, if, if I was so expensive and I'm ripping everybody off and ripping all the neighbors off, why am I for the last 13 years in your neighborhoods doing everybody's work? There's a reason why, because you're reasonable. You do the job you say you're going to do. You don't nickel and dime everybody. You're upfront, and they're going to refer Deliver you. Deliver what you promise. That's all you yeah. got to do. Yeah. But today's a different yeah. industry because I, I know you were you were very concerned because I said one of the things I do say on the show here is beside the SNS salesman and subs is you got to ask who is physically doing the work. I want to know who's physically going to be in my house. Now, Dave and I are the ones doing most of the work, so that's the, the nice part that everybody loves about us. And I said, if I do sub out, my, like my plumber, I tell people I met him at church 25 years ago and he's the owner, he does the work. He's gonna be here doing the work. The electrician's Dave's brother and I went to school with the electrician since I was in fourth grade, it's Dave's brother. He's the one, he does the work. Him and Matt do all the work, Mike and Matt. So I know who's coming into the house. I'm not one of those companies that'll listen, we're gonna just sub everything out and do it. So we're more transparent that way. And if somebody's saying, well, we have people that do the job and they're, we don't know, if they don't give you hard, core evidence that who's coming in and who's doing the work uh listeners i would probably run from that even if they're reputable yeah. because everybody's so busy and they're everybody wants to start right away so right. all they're doing is picking people off the street hey you want to start a job right. hey, why don't we do that and that's most of the horror stories that i get been calling in is because people are hiring people and they don't know who's coming in and who's doing the job the jobs are delayed and these are a lot of the complaints well why don't we ask those questions ahead of time so you don't have these problems I think a lot of people just don't know the questions to ask, you know, or they get intimidated by these people because some of them can be very, very intimidating. Is that know? the person you want working on your home? No. So if you don't no, feel comfortable, no, no, so no, Martin, no. if you don't feel comfortable with what I offered or something I gave you, would you hire me? No, I wouldn't. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't. It's that easy. If you feel uncomfortable now before the contract's even signed, probably not going to go so well after that. So that's why I tell people, listen, I, I I don't need to sell the job. I'd rather educate you, at least in the, the best scenario. What you're going to get from us is what your friends have told you about us. Your, your neighbors have told you about well, that's us. That's a good rule of thumb to follow there. If you feel iffy about somebody comes to your house and, and say there are three companies and one of them makes you feel real iffy, I don't know about any, but, but the, it, it's a lowball bid, Don't probably don't do it. Don't do it. Just walk away from it. Right? Well, yeah, a lot of people think it's all about price. Yeah. Now, Martin, I remember Just I told you the story it, here yeah. in Pennsylvania. If you get prices for, say, $100,000 from five contractors, I come in, I'm going to price it at 40000 Something's wrong. And you're going to sign and say, hey, we're going to take a chance. It's 40000 What can go mm -hmm. wrong? A couple thousand an extra. And I know that that area, say, for the chase, that we have to run up saying, oh, look at this. We we got to put it in this chase. That's an additional $60,000 to do it. Well, it's only like a $500 job for me. But in the state of Pennsylvania, as long as I present it to you before we do the work and make you sign off on it, now, here's the thing. When I tell people, when you sign off on it, I have your house ripped apart. If you don't sign off on it, I'm going to walk because I gave you this You're not addendum. You're put the house back together again either. No. It's, yeah. it's legal to do yeah. it. And I, I love to hear an attorney. I'm not an attorney, but I love to have him come on and say, yeah, it, it's wrong, but you can do it. But the problem is it's unscrupulous for a contractor to do it. But that's how they're getting the jobs and because they say we can start right away and we'll give you a low price. And it never comes out to that way. So that's what we do here on the show is just try to educate homeowners to make sure you ask the right question. So that I know is one of the main questions, but what I'd like to do is further this, I'm gonna get you a pricing on everything just like we did uh, at your friend's house and mm -hmm. I'll have everything broken down for you and then you let me know. Yep, 
And if That's you have any cool. questions on the interim of that, where if you came up with some more questions, email me that and we'll get it back on the air so our listeners know the right questions to ask. You're in good hands, Mona. And uh, listen, thank you very much for becoming a listener. Well, thank you for having me and I appreciate everything. And Kevin, I'm looking forward to getting your estimate and moving forward. Kev, I understand we've got a really interesting horror story here, something that should not have happened at all. Well, most of them shouldn't have happened None of them should happen. But what happened was that my foreman, Dave, gave me a call, and uh, he started sending me some pictures of a tile job. And I said, oh, where'd you get these? I mean, this is kind of funny that somebody would actually try to do this. Is What is it, the homeowner trying to do it, or what, what's going on? He said, no, they, they hired somebody to come out and do some, some tile work, and uh, you ought to take a look at this. As I'm scrolling through the pictures, going... Oh, this is no seriously. This is this is a somebody's calling themselves a contractor. So, when you're tiling, and this is for any of our contractor listeners, when you're tiling, you have real marble being put up. So real marble. So when you put thin set up and you're you're plying it up, you you want to make sure the not inexpensive material, right? No, very expensive. Yeah. So as you're putting it up, what professionals do is they'll they'll put a thin set up and they'll do a section at a time where they'll maybe put a the length of the wall, maybe about three foot up. They're set up so they can pop the tiles on and then go to the next step. So it applies and adheres very nicely. I've never seen anything like this. So as they're putting it up there, the grout lines, there was just oozing out thin set everywhere. And then the thin set itself was slopped all over the tile. Now Dave went in the next day because all the thin set is now rock hard over the tile. You can't get that off. It wasn't coming off. So that tile's basically destroyed. It, it's yeah, right. And <laughs> so if you're going to be doing something you think you're good enough to do something then do it correctly just because you watched it on tv or watched it on youtube doesn't mean you're an expert at it and then he's showing me some more pictures and then the they have a half wall now you've probably seen in most showers people will build a half wall around the shower yeah, and then sure. one part was going to be a shower glass door right. and then on top of the half wall is going to be some shower glass mm -hmm. so usually what i like to do is when i'm getting my cabinets installed and i'm going to have it templated for the granite countertops or the mm -hmm. marble or style stone or whatever one you want to use i usually get that made in one piece what this person did was actually had multiple pieces and just put it down now usually what you like to do is that the corners miter it so it looks nice because if you don't one side is going to be cut and not factory and it's going to be horrible looking well yeah, that will see that jagged cut just, yeah. right mm -hmm. and then on top of that there dave's like well if if i got to repair some of this stuff the drywall on the outside there's thin set everywhere on the wall what was the excuse for that? He said, well, I thought they were putting trim up. I'm like, how do you put trim over concrete? Imagine a nice piece of trim going up, Ryan, and you're putting on stucco. You think it's going to lay nice and flat? <laughs> no. It's just these are some of the things that amaze me. If you're going to be doing something, look, I don't brag that I'm I'm going to be able to do, you know, engineering like, say, Frank does on, on podcasting or, or I'm a computer expert. I am not. I know how to turn a computer on, and I did sleep at Holiday Inn Express, but I don't know that. So I'm not going to push myself you on stick somebody. with your knitting exactly yeah, stick to your knitting but yeah. everybody thinks they can be a contractor and everybody talked even the guys who think they're really good after about five minutes of looking at the work and talking to them i, I wouldn't have them do my doghouse so if you're not good enough to do something to a professional level or a mid-standard level and give somebody what they're paying for because they're paying you money to do this you really shouldn't be in this business that's the problem I have. You think you're a contractor? I'm telling you, you're not. You know, that begs the question, what business should these people be in, if any? I'm know? not here to judge anybody. I'm just here to judge if you're doing something wrong in contracting that could hurt or waste somebody's money. Right. That's a problem I have. Absolutely. And just being in the business for as long as I have, it should be very simple to do a job, to do it correctly. If you're going to, 
be a salesperson if you're going to be able to do something, but you've got to be able to follow through with the workmanship. You know, again, you could be a salesman and sub, you could be somebody doing the work, but no matter who's doing it, the bottom line is the homeowner should be taken care of. And that's what I'm seeing more and more. These horror stories are coming in and it, it doesn't stop. So where does it stop where somebody's going to finally say, you know what, I'm really not that good. So maybe I shouldn't be doing this. Do you know of anybody that would do something like that? No, I mean, they're not going to stop. They're not going to stop because that's how they make money. How they-, they make money that way. But so I always tell people that, yeah, you're in business to make money. And look, I get that. I don't care what you charge. If you're $10 million a day or $10 a day, the bottom line is what's the end result for the homeowner? That's what I want to know. A good end product. And, excellent end product. You know, I always tell people, listen, when I do your siding or if I'm doing your windows or your bathroom, most likely I'm never going to see you again. I'm going to see you again on doing a kitchen or something else. But the reason why I want to do a great product and deal with product and workmanship is because, number one, I don't know what callbacks are. Look, things can happen, but I very rarely have them because if you're going to spend the time to do it right as being a contractor, number one, you're going to get a ton of work, referral work. And number two is you're going to get more on top of that because you're satisfied you did such a great job. And homeowners are happy about that. Mm-hmm. That's the, that's it. It's, it's very simple. People aren't contractors. You've got to work and learn the business. Then just say, yeah, you know, I saw it on YouTube and, well, this looks pretty easy. I guess I can do this. That That is not. So you got to watch some of those people watching some DIY shows. Know what you're getting into because even those people are still guided in the right direction. So anybody that's into contracting, there are certain levels of application. Mm-hmm. Look, I don't mean to take it to the level I do. Sometimes I overkill a lot of things. But doing it my way, why don't people have problems? Why do they always refer you? Doing it right and the job looks great. That's the bottom thing. Even sometimes I see some decent contractors, but... It's knowing what you're doing and it's attention to detail. Right, but some things you don't even see. Like if you're doing a... like Talking about a house, if you're building an addition, what's underneath? Right. Like, I, like I'm in a, a job now and we talked uh, several times on it with the homeowner and I said, yeah, what you see is the finished result. What's under the finished result? Like before today, we just got the electrician on the job of the basement we're doing and we're getting inspections in two days. And I said, listen, I have to rip all this out. And he said, well, why? I said, you cannot put splice boxes behind walls. So there were multiple splice boxes because he couldn't get from end to end. Could cause a fire, right? Correct. Sure. But that's code. You can splice. You can put a splice kit in or you have to have access to it, which means put a blank plate over it. Mm -hmm. But you just can't splice behind walls and leave it there. With electrical tape, it doesn't it doesn't work this with way. Electrical tape. Yeah, they had a couple of electrical tape. Oh, one boy. was in a box. Oh boy! They had two outlets about six feet from each other, and there was a splice behind the wall. Instead of just taking one wire to the other outlet to outlet and hook it up, these are things I just don't understand. It might take another minute to do it this way, but why not do it a minute? Although it's you know we we've talked about this before. It either is a matter of laziness and not wanting to do it, okay, and wanting to get out of the house faster and get your check. Okay, it's number one. Or number two, maybe it's lack of knowledge about what to do. It could be as well, right? They might feel it's the right way, but I here's the one thing I can tell you when I when I saw all this stuff, you I said to the homeowner, you didn't get a permit for this job prior to she's like, no, we didn't. I said, I know. So that's why I said getting a permit, again, code's minimal, but it's still up the requirement that it's gonna be a safety feature for you because the, now the job's done. Right Now, you put electrical tape around that. What if it caught on fire, caught the wall behind fire, that the insulation goes out? Oh, house goes Right. Now, you're going to risk your life over that? No. So this contractor was risking your life because he wanted to save a couple bucks and get out of there quick and go to the bar? Yeah, a lot of the stuff we talk about, and we've talked about this in other shows, too, is life-threatening. It could really Mm -hmm. be, you know? 
burn the house down. Yeah, with you in it. And that's something we do not want. So that's why we're here to, to guide you in the right direction to make sure you get the right job. That's it. So listen, if you have a great horror story, Kevin at yourvaluablehome.net. If you do ask those questions, I can at least guide you in the right direction so it doesn't happen to you. Ron, I don't want these people coming on because I don't want them to have a horror story. I want them to have a really good success job that they're very Wouldn't happy with. Wouldn't it be with. great if someday, 10 years from now, we didn't have horror stories to tell anymore? Wouldn't that be great? That would be. Yeah, yeah that would be. Yeah. But And then, well, my business on the back end would be uh, hurting because now people are doing the job right. And now they don't need to get new work because that's what we're doing. We're fixing a lot of the other people's work uh, on the bad job. So listen... Let's do it right. Let's do it right from the beginning so you can have a great kitchen or bathroom or siding job from here Absolutely. To go. All right, we'll be back after we take a quick break. Hey, Kev, we've talked many times about the importance of curb appeal and the value quality products add to exterior home improvements. Provia fiberglass entry doors and vinyl replacement windows add that value. And for huge impact, curb appeal, and value, there's Provia vinyl siding and manufactured stone, right? Yep, the super polymer formulation of Provia siding reflects heat and protects against UV rays and solar heat buildup for lasting color and value. Provia siding comes in traditional, insulated, and decorative profiles, all with the look and texture of wood. People often stop me and ask about my Provia Cedar Max siding. I've actually gotten siding jobs that way. Really? Absolutely. Okay. Well, how about colors and styles? My customers love the palette of popular colors, including dark and bold hues, and a variety of styles from clapboard to Dutch lap, board and batten, and shake like mine. And you can see it all and how the colors and styles work with Provia entry doors and vinyl replacement windows at Provia's fabulous website, Provia.com backslash YVH. Also, check out Provia's Manufactured Stone, another wow product for the eye-popping exterior and interior accents. I just used it on my fireplace. Amazing how real Provia Manufactured Stone looks. That's because individual stones in Provia Stone Veneer are made in molds created by professional stonemasons. They use actual stones to form the molds. That's how Provia gets its rugged texture, shadow lines, and coloring of real quarried stone. The assortment of shapes and sizes in 10 stone color palettes even take geographic variations into account. Once again, Provia delivers on its mission, which is to serve by caring for details in ways that others won't. Visualize the possibilities at Provia.com backslash YVH. Okay, Ryan, as we continue into the college segment, talking about something great again about building. And what do we have going on? We're talking about building strong. Do you think that most people give any thought to how the supports for their deck or the framing members for the entire home or all held together. You think they give it a second, second of thought? No. Like somebody's buying a new home. Are they going to ask the salesperson, hey, I don't think How's so. How's this held together? No, Chewing no. gum? I certainly haven't considered it. You sort of make a leap of faith that any residential structure is built to last and stand up to strong winds and other harsh weather. Everybody, everybody does that, right? Correct. Well, today we're going to be talking with Jim Maley from the company called Simpson Strong Tie. The focus of the conversation, how framing members, support beams, etc., are joined together really does make a difference. And I'm sure it did in Florida recently this past winter with the storms. Oh, right? yeah. Fort Myers Beach, some of those old homes then, probably just ripped right apart. Yeah, but it's just not now. It's been for years. Years, It's what the yeah. level the people are taking into to get this strength that they need to, to build a house. All right, so Jim, welcome to Your Valuable Home. Hey, thanks for having me. Jim, can you give us a brief introduction to Simpson Strong Tie and the structural connectors that the company's bread and butter? Sure. Simpson Strong Tie actually designs, tests, and manufactures products that tie wood to wood, 
wood to steel, steel to steel, and then, of course, uh, wood and steel to concrete uh, or masonry members together. So that's kind of where the term tie comes in. Basically, we're tying the joints of a building together with the various uh, metal components we have. In the construction industry, we're well known, but for the consumer, we're not. The easiest way to describe our product to a consumer is if you look under a deck and you see that metal bracket there, that's right. probably us. That's probably the easiest way. Of course, that's only one product that we have, but the easiest way to kind of give you a little bit about Simpson Strong Tie. So basically, what I can say about you is you specialize in the science of making residential structures strong. Yes. Okay. Yep. Your website addresses the construction concept of continuous load path. What is that? Can you explain it to us? And why is it critical to making residential wooden structures strong enough to stand up to severe wind? Continuous load path is simply tying the wood joints together. So you start at the roof of the house from a design standpoint, and you tie the roof to the walls, not just the top plates, but to the walls. If you mm -hmm. have a two-story home, you tie the floors together somehow. You know, that can be with some sort of mechanical connection, like a, a structural screws or a strap, for example. Kind of moving farther down, you want to tie the sill plate to the foundation, whatever that is. So when it comes to a home, continuous load path is making sure when the wind comes Comes along or a flood comes along that the building doesn't blow apart or the building doesn't get shoved off its foundation. I think when it comes to a deck, it's the same thing. So, you know, where you have the big components, which is the joists and the columns and the beams and all that, the continuous load path is where you tie those members all together. Kind of simply put, that's what a continuous load path is, making sure that the forces from the wind, the forces from flood, or you know, on a deck, for example, people moving around, those forces of people moving around are actually transferred to a stable part, which is typically the ground. That's, I think, kind of a simple explanation of what a continuous load path is. All right. So a continuous load path basically would be preventing extreme movement either laterally, vertically. Correct. It could come from the side too, right? Correct. I mean, mm -hmm. if you look at wind, wind uh, actually starts out as a coming alongside your house. And then once it hits your house, then it goes up the walls and wants to blow your roof off. So, you know, most people think of wind as an uplift force. Well, you know, initially wind comes along the side. Now flood, pretty much everybody knows flood is a, uh, a lateral event. And kind of the same thing with people moving around. That's typically a lateral event. So that's basically what it is. Isn't it even even more important with a uh, with a deck? Because I, I know when Kevin's guys did my deck over, they did it. They put a lot of brackets down because you're getting wind from up underneath the boards too, right? Right. Yeah. You know, the, the, the whole structure uh, actually needs to be stabilized somehow. Mm-hmm. And so that would include, you know, the, I mean, when you look at a deck, for example, the deck boards themselves serve to stabilize the diaphragm of the deck. Without the deck boards, that floor system isn't going to be supported very well. So they have to be attached properly. Um, and typically that's done with screws. But then as you, you move farther down, say everything is stabilized, well, then, then what ties those floorboards and the joists to the next member? And I think that's where Kevin had said that uh, you used hurricane ties on a deck, and that generally transfers the, the load down farther uh, into the joist and then into the columns and then into the ground, okay. putting it into the ground. Here's a little story that you probably, you probably cringe at this, <laughs> but when my development was first built, I didn't have the I didn't have the developer put in a deck. I did it myself. I didn't do it myself. I hired somebody to do it, right? But everybody had the developer do it. They actually bolted the, I guess, the ledger board in the deck, right, mm -hmm. to 
to the, uh, the the fabricated joist and went right through the OSB part of the joist and bolted it to right. that. So he had, had decks, and everybody was up on the deck wondering, why is it swinging back and forth? Oh, that half-inch OSB is the only thing holding it up in the back end. Unbelievable. Oof. Unbelievable. Yeah. That's just a little aside, a little story you can tell to, tell to your grandchildren or something, okay? Well, back then, a lot Great. of the joists, what we're talking about, your joists, they were just toenailed from the original builder, the guy who did your deck 30 years ago, into the header board. No, not mine. I didn't do mine that way. Right, but that's yeah. what we had to oh, do. Yeah, so okay. when you got the repairment, the permit was requiring us to take the hurricane clips to tie it in, which is a strap. That probably strap. wasn't even code back in those days, right? No, no, we've oh. never done them years ago, but now I do it. So, Jimmy, also when I'm doing siding jobs, we're taking down siding jobs, and people are like, listen, my roof's really creaking. I said, well, listen, you don't have any clips up there, and a couple of your roof rafters are really loose on the top plate. Why don't we just do this? I'm going to strip everything down, and I do hurricane clips up there because I did it on my house when we put the addition on. I did the old part of the house, which didn't have it, trying to upgrade everything using Simpson tie. All right. Well, segueing from Kevin's concept now, it is possible then to, to retrofit a residential wood frame building, a whole building for continuous load path, is it? Yeah, it is. Uh, interesting. When I started with Simpson uh, back in 92, people said, uh, you know, does that stuff even work? And I said, uh, I don't know. You know, it's good stuff, <laughs> but I have no idea if it works or not. So we didn't have any examples. Well, you know, then in 92, Hurricane Andrew comes through and and, uh, FEMA starts doing reports. And then Hurricane Katrina being in this area, I'm sure you remember Superstorm Sandy. Oh, yeah. And the damage that it created. And so after every one of these major events like that, FEMA and a group called the Insurance IBHS, Institute for Business and Home Safety, they do analysis on these structures to see what's causing all this damage. Every one of them, you know, when they get the reports done, they go back and they look and they go, well, it's really that continuous load path that's not met. And, you know, if the roofs were just toenailed down, you know, maybe the floors weren't tied together because really codes hadn't caught up because codes are reactionary. You know, something happens and then the code adjusts yeah, That's a good it. point. That's a very good point. That's true. Yeah. Uh, they react. So really, Florida didn't react to Hurricane Andrew until, 90, uh, until 98, I think it was, 98 or 99, when they adopted some new codes. Mm-hmm. And then uh, shortly after that, a bunch of homes were actually retrofitted. And of course, that's great. You retrofit a home. You know, how do you do it? You know, that's always the, the question. Yeah, how do well, you do it? Yeah. You know, one of the things you have to do is take the soffit off. You know, if there's soffit there, you got to get in there. You know, I think one of the most important connections is that roof. If the roof's not tied down, then really, who cares if the rest of the house is tied down if the roof goes, right? Exactly. So you want to make sure the roof is tied down. Well, there was a. Um, a company called Florida Retrofits that retrofitted 113 homes in Mexico City by tearing the soffit off and then, you know, attaching uh, hurricane ties to the roof and then to the wall. And they had no damage in the hurricane that went through Mexico City. Hmm. Uh, so it, it shows through these uh, reports that they've done that basically – if you tie the structure together and you can retrofit, um, then the buildings will stand up to the high winds. And I don't want to just focus on Florida or any specific area because um, I'm actually in Pennsylvania. And so mm-hmm. I look I look at statistics in Pennsylvania. Did you know last year that, that Pennsylvania had 956 high wind events and 44 tornadoes? 
Oh, yeah. You know what? We talked about that on the show already. It's the first time in my life. I lived in Pennsylvania Pennsylvania all my life, and so have you, right? Yep. First time I've ever experienced, and I'll tell you, they really, it's like a buzzsaw going through a community. I experienced one in the Army firsthand. I never want to do that again. It's it's absolutely frightening. Call it climate change. Call it just normal weather patterns. Whatever it is, there's something happening out there. You know, we talk about wind, and then there's seismic. There's federal funds for seismic retrofit. And there are some funds for for flood, of course, you know, if you can't elevate, then, then you need to, to make sure you, you build properly. But, uh, you know, that's, that's an area that needs to be addressed, I think, uh, as we continue to go forward, because flooding is something that's just going to continue to get worse. Just this morning, New Jersey, I think a bill passed where if you are in a flood zone and something's happened to your house or hasn't happened to your house, you have to make that known to the real estate agent who handles your house when you sell it and to the buyer. It's mm-hmm. a whole different ballgame there, okay? Mm-hmm. And that's probably something that's going to spread to other states too. Mm-hmm. Yeah? But it, it, yeah. New Jersey's the first one. Yeah, bottom line is when you're starting to build, all these builders should be looking for the future. We Absolutely. know what it is. It's very easy to fix all the stuff for the future. Absolutely. Retrofitting is going to be something a little bit harder. Homeowners can't afford that. But if you're thinking of knocking a house down like at the Jersey Shore, you're not going to be putting it on the ground. It's going to be so high up in the air where your starting point is because flood has done the damage. High winds have really done many damage storms, including Super St- Storm Sandy. It was all the flood damage. Flood damage, yeah. So that's what we got to prep for. because we There's were, a lot of uh, storm surge in Florida, too. Yeah. That, that, that's what Although those winds hit 180-some miles an hour down there. And those homes that were inland survived. Survived. Figure that Absolutely one out. Absolutely right. So the yeah. storm surge is probably like Babcock the next. Grant, Babcock Ranch. I don't know if you know where that is, Jim. It's uh, It would be yep. um, east, east of, of Fort, Myers. Fort Myers by about 25 minutes. They had, and we've had them on the air, they had what, minimal damage, like to one mm-hmm. or two houses. And in Fort Myers, 25 minutes away on the beach, total devastation. Yep. It's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. So is it safe to say if you had two homes, one's retrofitted for continuous load, the other one isn't, in a violent storm, is it safe to say the one that isn't is going to take a hit and the one that is isn't going to take a hit? At this point, 30 years now later, uh, with all the data that's out there from FEMA, from the Institute for Business and Home Safety, and, and all the the homes that have been retrofitted and then been hit with either a tornado or a flood or a hurricane or something like that, absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, the, 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 the tests have been out there. You know, and of course the test is, you know, you, you do it and then wait till something happens. And so the tests have been out there and they stand up. There's a couple of things going on in tornado design areas, you know, and, and of course that ends up being a lot of the Midwest, of course, yep. but, you know, Pennsylvania had 44 also. And one of the things that the, the code requires is that you build to, you know, a certain wind speed, you know, 90 or 115, depending on what code you're under. But they have proven that you can actually build up to an EF2 tornado and have it withstand a wood structure up to an EF2 tornado and have it withstand those wind forces. And the cost is not that much. No, the architect I just met, Ilya Azarov, we have more, we got, we're going to record two shows with him, past president of AIA in New York, the New York right. chapter, right? Mm. He designed something called the Hurricane Proof House uh, and built it and had it built. They got, had donations to too, to help this woman that had her house destroyed in Sandy Hook, mm. Queens, you know, and it will withstand winds of what, up the 150? A Cat 5 hurricane. Cat 5. A Cat 5. Mm. Yeah. So we can build it. Yeah. I'm not and, saying everything's Continuous perfect. load is a big part mm-hmm. of his whole construction technique. And raising it high enough so the storm surge didn't affect 
And it's got scuppers in the house, too, to let the water out so it doesn't push the walls out. So uh, it's possible. It's possible. And, you know, more and more of that's going to have to be done. And I'm going forward. You know, you buy a new house, probably not a bad idea to put a safe room in the basement with the way the weather's been, been acting up, you know, where you can really go. They tell you, like, when the tornadoes came through Bucks County, go to your basement. I'm sitting in my basement, right, with a glass of wine, <laughs> figuring this is the end. <laughs> I may as well enjoy myself going out, you know. But uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. You got you got to plan on this stuff. Well, anymore. Jim, I'll give you a quick story. When when I was building my addition two years ago, we put so many Simpson strong ties in that that house because I overkill it. Even the inspector said, "Why'd you put all this extra?" And I said, "There's reasons yeah, why I yeah. do it." We were completed. The winds came, and it was a we were on top of a hill uh, in Bucks County, and we could see the whole area because we're at the top of the mountain area. Well, when these winds started coming, and my in laws, which I built this place is rock solid, came down to our house. To the house is 40, 50 years old, which is shaking and rattling. What are you doing? He said, well, they said it was high winds. So we want to come down here. I'm like, no, 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 no. The best thing for you is to go back into your addition because that's going to be, it's built so much stronger mm-hmm. than the house. The house is coming down. The addition is not just because of the Simpson strong times. Did they go back upstairs? Yeah, they went back up there. That's their safe spot. The basement is up there. Jimmy, your website mentions four different ways the wind can affect the home. And uh, just can, can you just enumerate those for us? Yeah. The four ways that wind will affect a home. So basically uplift is the one that's most common. So obviously you want to, you know, prevent the roof from coming off and floors from separating. And if you've addressed uplift, then the next force is actually a sliding force. So if everything is being prevented from being pushed up, then the home actually wants to slide. And hmm. I have uh, pictures of that from, I think it was an EF1 tornado in Wisconsin where the home actually just slid off the, the foundation. Wow. So basically then you, you hope you have, you know, anchor bolts or, you know, appropriate wall bracing and all that stuff in there. And then if you, you, you've addressed that and now it's holding on, then you get this racking force and that's where your wall bracing comes in. You know, it prevents the house from racking, you know, and, and you can imagine what that is where a house just kind of tilts. Mm-hmm. And so now you've addressed those three, and if you've addressed those three properly, then you have what's called overturning. And it kind of looks like, uh, I have a picture of a house that looks like it was just turned over, just flipped over on its side. Mm-hmm. So everything was connected real well, but the, uh, the what they call shear walls, the shear walls weren't uh, properly built in that home, and so it basically just turned over. So in, in our area, typically we want to address uplift and the sliding forces. Those are the two most common that are, that are wanting to be addressed. Now, the code only really addresses uplift, hmm. but the other okay. three forces do, um, uh, do occur. And I guess it depends on, well, let me rephrase that. Depends on where you're at and what part of the country as to what the code addresses. So I'll, I'll rephrase that for a national audience. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, one of the five questions that uh, owners of older homes should ask themselves to determine if their home should be retrofitted for high wind. You know, this could be older or newer homes because, um, you know, one of the, again, we, we've talked about this a few times, um, is making sure that your roof's tied down. So, again, that's that's really a contractor who's going to do that. You know, take the soffit off, see if you just see toenails. You know, if all you see are nails there, well, uh, IBHS, the Insurance Institute for Business and Home Safety, and FEMA have basically shown that toenails don't hold a roof down, but they have been permitted by code for quite a long time. So if you don't properly secure the roof, that's that's something that, that can be done as a retrofit. So mm-hmm. 
Um, that's probably number one. Mm-hmm. You know, number two that I look at, and I know there's five, but I'm, I'm only going to look at a couple of key ones. Uh, when we see wind damage, a lot of times that wind damage comes through the garage door. Uh, so the garage door blows in. Uh, it's not properly attached. And once that garage door blows in or any windows get, get damaged, then the wind gets inside the structure and then you get uplift again. Pushes out and up, right? Implode. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, the, the, a lot of times if I see a, kind of a, a big chunk of the home destroyed, especially the roof gone, you know, you'll see a garage doors going also. You know? Yeah, my garage door wouldn't stop anything. Mine's metal. <laughs> Mine's tissue metal. paper. Uh, yeah, right. No, it's not, it yeah. looks good, but that's the best size of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then I think the last thing uh, that a, a professional contractor can look at is to make sure you, you have that continuous load path and your foundations attached. So, you know, you look at some of the older homes, you know, they may have been sitting on the foundation. Uh, maybe there's cut nails there. You know, uh, and and cut nails are basically just nails that they use for concrete that that aren't used for anchoring the sill plate down anymore. Um, but you want to see that there's anchor bolts or something like that anchoring the uh, the foundation down. So I would say those are the key areas that you want to look at. Okay. Is continuous load path now part of the code across the country? If not, it probably should be, right? You know, <laughs> interesting. Uh, so I've been doing code-based programs since uh, 1995. I think when you look at code adoption, you know, code adoption is generally by the state for the most part, except for a few states. In 2012, the code came in and said, now you have to address continuous load path for uplift for the residential code. Now, the building code, if it's a commercial structure, you have to address continuous load path in all directions. Mm-hmm. But for a residential structure... Other than the wall bracing, which addresses your lateral, the uplift is the key part of continuous load path in the residential. So when you ask, is continuous load path now part of the code? Well, yes, for uplift it is. But that doesn't mean that all the loads are being addressed uh, uh, properly. And then, you know, the other thing is what's being enforced? Because I know some states, like New Jersey, for example, just adopted the 2021. Pennsylvania's under the 2018. Uh, every three years, they have a new code that's written. Some states are under 15, 2015. I don't think anybody in the country is older than 2012. So the answer should be they should address continuous load path for uplift. Mm-hmm. But what gets enforced might be something a little bit different. And um, you know, I've trained a lot of building inspectors over the years, and I hate when the building inspector gets blamed because the, the residential code is currently over 1,100 pages, and there's over 780 reference standards in that code. Nobody can be an expert in that code. It's just too much information. Consequently, then, it's kind of, you know, the buyer needs to understand a little bit about their biggest investment. You know, what's tying things down and and not just rely on the building inspector, but, you know, do a little research, you know, and, and, and see how things are being done. I want to mention something here because we, we talked about uh, consumers not knowing your products, but your website is very, very consumer friendly. I mean, very homeowner friendly, for instance, and we'd be remiss if we didn't mention this. High Wind Retrofit Solutions is a booklet that's offered free on your website. The information in the booklet is particularly helpful to those with, I guess, homes and shore location. Yeah, that was put together uh, primarily, as you said, for shore locations. But when you look at the the connections, um, the connections kind of rate the connection based on low, medium, high type winds. Mm-hmm. 
So even if you're in Pennsylvania and you look at that retrofit guide, it gives you some ideas on what can be done after the fact. You know, the home's already built. You know, I'm concerned that maybe my home isn't going to survive the next, you know, high wind event. You know, download that document and show it to a contractor and say, hey, how much is this going to cost to do this part of the retrofit solution? And so that, that gives them a good starting point for things that can be done after the home is already built. That's fantastic. Even, even a new home, right? Are, new, right? are you likely to find the towing of the roof into the body of the house in, in a new home? No. Nine, it, well, they have to put the code to the hurricane clips. Hurricane clips. So you're talking from the 90s, mid-90s and earlier, uh, you'll yeah. see more of the toenailing. Yeah, okay. So one of, the, one of the things I always tell people, and the best advice I can give everybody is to keep the cost down if you're trying to retrofit. Do it when you're doing the siding, because all that stuff mm-hmm. that you need to tie in off the exterior anyway. Off. Yeah, absolutely. So That's if you're a good getting idea. siding done, have it done at that time. It should be a lot cheaper because it's not hard to do. Put these components in, strapping down hurricane clips. That's going to make a big difference in, in the building aspect for an older home. Well, here's exactly. A, here are a couple other things that benefit the average homeowner because I think you do have a consumer site there, a con- consumer or homeowner friendly site. You also offer free design software for homeowners on your website, right? Right, right. There's uh, most of the the software that we have available, and there's over 30 uh, web apps and software solutions there, but they're to make it easier for either the contractor, the specifier, the building official. But there's a couple of pieces of software there that the homeowner can use, and they're actually very easy. One is for uh, building a deck Mm -hmm. um, called Deck Planner Software. The other is for building a pergola. And then the other one is for building a fence. Um, And so what they'll do is you kind of go in there, you figure out your size and and basically what you're looking for. It'll give you an idea of of, uh, what it's going to look like. Um, And then it'll give you a material list. And it'll give you uh, even a cut sheet and kind of a plan sheet. If you're building a deck, for example, you you should be submitting that to the building department for permit. So it'll even give you that information that the building department's going to need to know where you're going to put your footings and how you're going to lay out your joists and beams and all that stuff. So it's it's pretty user-friendly type software for the consumer. Yeah, and I, I, would, I would emphasize it's not just for the DIY person, okay? Not just for the DIY person because it's for all homeowners. So you can benefit from the knowledge uh, to better be able to evaluate con- contractors and then their performance after you hire them to do the job, right? Did they do all this R- stuff? Right. I actually teach a couple of deck courses because I, I know we, we have a couple of deck things to talk about for the North American Deck and Railing Association. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of them is uh, called a deck evaluation. And, and basically, that, that's meant to, to kind of educate somebody on what to look for. You know, you hire somebody and, and maybe the, the, the low bid guy is not the best guy for the job. <laughs> but you want to find out that, uh, uh, you know, if he's doing it right or not. Absolutely. Know, those documents help you kind of get a feel. The benefit of social media and all that is there's a lot of good information out there. The negative is there's also a lot of poor information yeah you're absolutely right yeah. a lot of poor yeah. contractors too well, i had one where i was doing a retrofit and uh of a house and the deck they had put on this was maybe probably about 10 years now and uh, i remember looking at the joist hangers and they use roofing nails to put the joist hangers up is that something you would recommend <laughs> oh man for our listeners no the head pops off and it'll rust right away so no it's not code but i've seen it done before so yeah you've got to make sure just because you have certain products and the contractor's still doing it right so right. joist hanger and roofing nails do, do not coexist. Education is education <laughs> is is good uh, protection against bad contracting. Correct. You, will. you have a concept called the fortified home on your site. What is that? 
You know, that's uh, that's actually something by the Institute for Business and Home Safety. And uh, basically, it's if you build to this standard, which is uh, they're typically all above code, um, because keep in mind, code is actually the minimum standard you should be legally building that, mm-hmm. you know, deck or house to. So they're typically above code. But if you're building to those standards, you know, in states like South Carolina and Florida, you know, they'll offer you insurance discounts to kind of show uh, what it's done. I think building to the fortified standard is also a good way if you resell the home, you know, take pictures of what you're doing. And then when you're talking to the the next client or whatever, say, hey, you know, hey, we've attached our roof according to the fortified roof standard, you know, or um, we've built according to the fortified silver standard, which uh, one of the things in the silver standard is to attach the uh, porch post down because porch posts are a common failure in, in wind events. Oh, I would imagine, yeah. Yeah, and then, uh, you know, hey, we built to the fortified gold standard, which is actually building to a continuous load path. Um, so, you know, if you're building to one of those standards, document it, you know, uh, because it should be part of the, the, the benefits of reselling a home. Yeah, you yeah, know what? And actually, I, I believe, because I'm going to document everything that was done to my house when it was rebuilt. Mm-hmm. The, whole, the whole building envelope was taken off and rebuilt. And I actually believe it should make a house, a house worth more. If you've got two houses in the same development, and one has and the other, the other one does not, I think it should be make the house worth more. Well, maybe Simpson Strong Type we can do instead of just talking about uh, programs, but maybe go after some of the siding guys, some of the bigger siding guys that are doing this, and give them options to retrofit some of the older homes to make a big difference. So it's not the word getting out on just your seminars. You can go to siding guys who are not really typically thinking about Simpson Strong Tie because they're not a builder, they're just siding guys, but maybe offer that option to retrofit, way to get the word out a lot better. You make Simpson Strong Tie products for decks. And just, can you you give us a rundown on like corrosion resistant composite decking screws? Because you probably wouldn't want to use anything else, right? You know, it's interesting on the the term corrosion resistant because that's actually in the code is corrosion resistant. And, you know, being very knowledgeable on corrosion, it's kind of a misnomer because all the materials that we use in construction will corrode. Uh, It just depends Mm -hmm. on at what level they'll corrode. Mm -hmm. So I think when people hear the term corrosion resistant, they think that it will never corrode. And that's just not true. So Mm -hmm. generally, there's three levels. You know, one is... um, coating that meets uh, this certain requirement that's good for areas where you don't have chlorides or you don't have acid rain or things like that. And so you'd use that. We, we call that coating a quick guard. Then there's uh, 304 and 305 stainless steel. In Pennsylvania, we have a lot of acid rain. Acid rain is probably going to corrode the quick guard fairly quickly. How about that? Huh? One of the most common forms of corrosion that people don't typically understand is when you throw salt down on the deck. You know, you throw salt down on the deck, you might as well just be along the coast because it does the same thing to the hardware. It corrodes the hardware. Mm. So the best material that we have to resist corrosion is a 316 stainless steel. And so if you're along the coast, if you're in an environment, say you're uh, uh, within 300 feet of a highway, well, when it snows, you know, they throw salt down. Well, that salt mist gets up, it sits on a deck, and then, you know, the water or whatever will corrode the hardware. So, you know, within 300 feet, Kind of the same thing. It's like you're along the coast. Mm-hmm. So that's when you'd want to look at, you know, the 316 stainless steel. And, right. of course, there is a cost difference between each one as you change from, you know, the standard coating to 304, 305 to 316. That's always costs more, but it's worth it, right? Value, value right. for the money, okay? 
What are the five warning signs of an unsafe deck, and what can you do about them? Well, Simpson Strong Tires. Well, I got the, the first one: roofing nails and a joist hanger is a no. <laughs> I mean, that's a first. I'm just going to throw it out there. <laughs> you know, funny you said that because you know back in the '90s, you know, there, there wasn't a lot of requirements going on, and so we did a real focus on making sure that we didn't have deck screws or, or drywall screws or roofing nails in connectors. And so I'm doing a class last week in Indiana, and I said, hey, do you guys see roofing nails and connectors anymore? And they go, yep. (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) Uh, So the battle will always go on about, you know, making sure that you're using the right uh, hardware. And and I think uh, the five warning signs uh, that you're looking for, the the two most important um, that I'll give you, and then I'll give you the other ones are, do you see any red rust on the hardware? So... You know, that could be any hardware. If you're using a metal railing, for example, is mm-hmm. there red rust on that hardware? Mm-hmm. Um, and is there any decay? The most common cause of a deck collapse is actually decay at the house because of the, the lack of flashing or, you know, improper flashing. Mm. You know, is there any decay? There's a simple pick test for that. You know, you stick a screwdriver into the wood, and if you get a nice splinter, well, the wood's in good shape. If the wood breaks in half, well, then the wood's starting to decay. So you, you want to kind of look at that. Are there any connections on that deck? You know, I mean, if, if all you see is nails in the ledger, you really need to get that retrofitted. Nails haven't been permitted since 2000. And mm. the deck is really getting to the age. You know, deck lifespan is about 10 to 20 years. Same as a roof, same as windows, same as anything outdoors. So when you start seeing some of those issues, loose connections, the number one failure on a deck by far is the guardrail. That's the one that's creating the most people getting paralyzed, the most people getting killed. So you want to look to see that that guardrail post is properly connected into the frame. Now, the 2021 IRC finally addressed that, saying that guardrail has to be connected in the frame. Prior to that, it was more just performance. You know, hey, you have to resist a certain load, figure out how to do it. And remember, not very many states are under 2021 yet. If you want to prevent people from, you know, falling off your deck, make sure there's a solid piece of hardware blocking with structural screws, not decking screws, but with structural screws holding that guardrail in. And then, of course, if you see any splitting in the wood, you know, that splitting is, you know, when the water gets in there, it's going to continue to develop and and now you've got a, a weak piece of wood. So those are the things that I think any homeowner can look for. And if any contractor finds those, they really need to explain to the homeowner that, hey, you know, this deck really needs to be replaced, not just resurfaced. Yeah, that's what I did with mine. That's what yeah. I did with mine. I found all sorts of things like that and boom, ripped it down. Very good information and thank you very, very much. Now, what is that? Uh, this really is a consumer site or a site for consumers and for all our listeners to look at. It's very Absolutely. important information. On it's your site. home. What is your, yeah. what's, what's the uh, URL of the uh, website? It's uh, strongtie.com. So www.strongtie, all one word, dot com. All right. So strongtie.com. Jim Maley from Simpson Strong Tie, a company whose name you should remember. Hey, Kev, great news on how our listeners can tap into their home equity without taking a loan, making monthly payments, or piling on debt. With Unison, they get up to 17.5% of their home's value to remodel, pay off debt, buy a vacation home, whatever. You have Unison, right? Yep, paid off medical debt. Unison's terms were perfect for me, especially zero monthly payments for up to 30 years. 
Zero monthly payments. How do they make money? When you sell your home, you pay them the original co-investment amount plus a percentage of the change in your home's value up to 30 years later. How do we learn more? Go to unison.com backslash YVH, which stands for Your Valuable Home. Again, that's unison.com backslash YVH. Additional terms and conditions apply. Visit unison.com backslash YVH for details. Remember the name Provia, your single source for professional class. Entry doors, storm doors, patio doors, vinyl and wood-clad vinyl windows, vinyl siding, manufacturing stone and metal roofing products made with latest technology and honest old world craftsmanship the Provia way that's this week's podcast your valuable home comes to you every week on the new pod city podcast network apple Podcasts, and all other popular podcast directories if you want us to share your home improvement project or horror story email me at kevin at your that's kevin at your and don't forget to tell your friends and family about Your Valuable Home, the weekly podcast that's all about building wealth in residential real estate and hiring the right contractor to do the right job at the right price. 